Welcome to Nessun Dorma podcast, your regular chat about 80s and 90s football. This is episode 16. I am Lee Calvert. And this week, like Jake and Elwood, we're putting the band back together as we welcome back the original lineup of Mr. Rob Smythe. Hello, Rob. Hello. And Mr. Gary Naylor. Well, and the blues, or the blue brother, I suppose. Oh, I suppose. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. Very good. Yeah. Glad to be here. The reason why we put this on is because we are here to discuss the greatest player of all time, Diego Maradona. Asterisk, Nesson Dorma podcast recognises that the greatest of all time is a subjective measure and other opinions and other theories are available. But if anyone says Lionel Messi, I'll punch him in the face. (laughs) But on this podcast, we have a very strong view of who the greatest player of all time is. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, we are on Twitter at Nesson Dorma pod. We are. We have a website, nessondormapod.com, and the website address and email address, sorry, is contact at nessondormapod.com. Uh, Rob is not on social media because he's a very sensible gentleman. So, and Gary, you're at Gary Naylor nine nine nine. Is that right on Twitter? Uh, it's absolutely hundred percent right. Why the nine nine nine? I was uh, needing something because Gary Naylor was taken, and so in an emergency because I was about to go and teach a class. Put nine 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 after the name. Ah, very good. See, nothing's ever random with Gary. You learn this. Um, Yeah, so there you go. We're on, as you know, because you're listening, we're on ACAST, we're on iTunes. Thanks for everybody that's listening. Thanks very much to Guardian Sport who given us a splash again this week. So any new listeners, welcome along and hopefully you'll enjoy us this with us. You can get in touch on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Uh, We can't really start the episode without mentioning the fact that this weekend just gone was John Motson's last ever commentary, a huge figure in all of our footballing uh, lives, I suppose, is the best way to put it. We're not going to go into it too much, other than to tell you that episode seven, if you haven't listened to it already, is a Barry Davis, John Motson comparison episode, if you like, where we, there's great clips of commentaries on there and stuff like that, but he will be missed. I suppose the only question I've got very quickly is, is it all to do with the nostalgia of the time? or you know, Because to me, you start thinking, will another commentator ever be remembered as fondly? Will... Will people who are 10 years old now listening to, I don't know, Guy Mowbray think the same way about him as we do about Motson? Do you think? Well, to me, me it's it's of its time because there was so little football that was on. And so the voices were really Barry Davies, uh, John Motson, you're really unlucky, Alec Weeks saying, number nine, passes it to number seven, (laughs) back to ten, it's a goal. Um, So... (laughs) It, it was the rarity value and, and therefore the thrill of watching live football or even watching recorded highlights on a Wednesday night. And it was a real thrill. Um, football's on, football's on. And uh, Motti would be the voice that, uh, that accompanied that, uh, that thrilling action. So I don't think it'll ever be the same because, I mean, I, I don't know if I could pick Guy Mowbray's voice out now, never mind anything else. But I was at uh, Southwark Playhouse a couple of years ago, a play about football, and um, Motti was in the uh, was in the bar, and as soon as I heard the voice, you know, tingle up the spine. <laughs> Motti's in. Motti's in. <laughs> okay, yeah, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, well, you will be missed, Motti. Episode seven, if you want some more detail. So we are going to talk about Diego Armando Maradona, the greatest player of all time, because there's so much to talk about. One from a footballing point of view, and many other things. Around it. To go back to the beginning, obviously the big thing about him, he was from a shanty town in Argentina, spotted at a very, very young age when he was playing for the, 
what they called the Ceboitas team, which means little onions, if you don't know anything about if you don't know anything about Spanish. And he made his debut for Argentinos Juniors at the age of fifteen. Um and played for Argentina when he was sixteen. What's interesting about him is um I'll come on I'll come back to his early career in a minute, but he's so massively associated with Boca Juniors, isn't he? But yeah. then when you look at his career, he only spent what, one and a half seasons there? Didn't he go back there as well? Did he go back there? He was there 81, 82, wasn't he? Didn't he? Wasn't that when he missed like five penalties in a row or something? And then he went back Twilight in 95, 97 when he was, you know. But you're right, it's still not much. Yeah. Which is weird because he is such a Boca legend, isn't he? Yeah, but I think growing up in Buenos Aires or even around Buenos Aires, you were either River or Boca, weren't you? And once he identifies as Boca, he's Boca forever. Yeah, I, I suppose. Think, yeah, it's a good point. And there's that great documentary that showed him going back to watch a game in the director's box and he was like throwing obscenities at everybody and basically being that brilliant thing that he was when he wasn't playing football. But anyway, yeah, so Argentina Tunis at 15. Everyone, he was marked out as pretty special from early out, wasn't he? I, uh, I have absolutely no idea, but I assume so, given yeah. how good he was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously make his debut that young. I always find it interesting that he didn't play... In the 78 World Cup, um, what would he have been in, like 18, 18, 19? He played in the, well, he, Minotti didn't take him in 78 because he said he was too yeah. young. And then he went to the World Youth Cup in 79. That's right. And was, and was unleashed on poor sods his own age, basically. Which, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which seemed incredibly unfair. He wiped the floor with them. Because in 79, they won that World Youth Cup, Argentina. He scored in every single round and just basically gave this kind of masterclass while loads of sort of ordinary mortal teenagers just stood around gawping at him, basically, it seemed. But he didn't go in 78, but obviously that didn't cause Argentina any problems, did it? No, not with the Junto uh, <laughs> Brace, but that's another pod, probably. No, no, and they, they were a bloody good side, obviously, they're Kempes and uh, the, the very underrated Luque. Um, yeah, they were so, yeah, front, weren't they? You know, they'd switch yeah. places. There probably wasn't room for a 17, 18 year old genius. I mean, he was 26, wasn't he? In, in 86 yeah. when he won the world. So in 78, he would have been 18 it's... and uh, probably good enough to play, but you know, they had Lampard and Gerard in there. So <laughs> <laughs> in that, it, it, the funny thing about his Argentine, he was at Argentinos for five years. I've always wanted to go to Boca. Have you heard about the story in 1980 when he pulled, he scored four goals for Argentinos versus Boca in 1980. No. The, the Boca goalie, Hugo Gatti, had called him the little fatty in the entire run-up to the game and very disparaging of him. Um, so Diego's response to that was to score four goals against him in that game. You, you know, that, that takes me to what I think I love the most about Maradona. There's a, it's referred to a lot in his book, which is extraordinary. Um, and it, it's an Argentinian word. I think, it's, I think you pronounce it bronca. And it basically means kind of anger, discontent, resentment. And he constantly uses it. Basically, that was his motivation, you know, whether it was against FIFA, whether it was against Italy when he was playing for Argentina. And it sounds like even that early in his career, it was, it just drove him to, kind of in combination with his obviously genius levels of skill, it drove him to be the best player we've ever seen, I think. And those four... But it wasn't, yeah, that anger, it's just fascinating how, because you don't always, you don't, anger's kind of a different association, isn't it? You don't necessarily associate with skill, but he clearly was able to mm. use it in a way that made him just produce these ridiculous moments of skill. I very much come to praise the pocket season, not to bury him. So I tried to identify three attributes of, of Maradona that, that put him, ironically, head and shoulders over <laughs> everything 
else in the game. And I think that the three that I've got, they're all interlinked, obviously. Um, and I'd be interested in your, your views is what strikes me is that he has immense courage, both physical and moral courage. When you look at Maradona and the way the game was played in those days, um, he's getting hacked, he's getting kicked. He had that terrible um, assault by Goykechea, which uh, destroyed his ankle and had to be rebuilt. And yet he still keeps going. He still insists on taking the man on. And his positive approach to the game, his, his eschewing of the easy option in favour of the, the more difficult option, that's the kind of moral courage side, along with the physical courage of being able to take that, that level of, uh, of uh, physical aggression uh, towards him is absolutely extraordinary. I don't think I've ever seen a player uh, more willing to, to take risks both with his body and with the game. Uh, part of the reason he could do that is I'd put him as perhaps the most uh, gifted in terms of balance of any sportsman that I've ever seen or sports person that I've ever seen. Um, John McEnroe is, is up in that category. Ronnie O'Sullivan, um, even these days, and this is one for you, Rob, maybe even Michael Van Gerwen. But th there's think about balance, and you see it in dance as well, um, which allows the, the body to move through space in a way that seems different to, to anybody else's. It's sometimes similar to grace, but when you see grace, like, like, like Roger Federer, it's not quite the same, the same thing. And Maradona's balance was preternatural. It was just incredible. Allowed him to always be using the left foot, but the body would swerve. He would have an aura about him, which which sometimes just sort of stopped players getting to him. And it's it's to do with that balance. And then the final thing about Maradona is that because I think he he had those physical attributes, his leadership, albeit of a different kind of leadership to to many. Um, was again absolutely extraordinary the way that the players looked to him in teams, not just obviously in Argentina, uh, in the national team, but also at, at Naples. And that leadership went out to the fans as well who could identify with him. We couldn't identify, we could never do what he did, but we could identify with the personality, the flaws as well as the, the genius. And therefore, as a as a leader, he was, I think, both of the people, but away from the people, um, different, yet uh, also the same in so many ways. And I don't think I don't think those three things have ever come together in quite the way they came together with Maradona, the courage, the balance and the leadership. And um, when you look at his achievements, um, they are beyond anything that anybody else has ever done. And when you see him play, you know, I was lucky enough to see him on television playing um, you know, at the time in this very flat in which I'm sitting now. I saw him punch the ball into the net past Peter Shilton. Um, what would we pay now to see Maradona live? You know, would I buy a season ticket and fly to Naples every, every other chip? <laughs> <laughs> I might. Don't think we'll see the likes again. It's um, it's it's an interesting question that what makes him so special because there's been lots of players, hasn't there, through the years that had talent and skill. And why was he so much better? And there is something, you know, he wasn't elegant like Pele was, was he? And he wasn't noticeably kind of athletically, the way he moved across the ground wasn't like a natural athlete. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't like a cultured mover. But that, then you come back to that point about the balance. Well, one of the most extraordinary examples of it is the famous goal against Belgium, I think, in the mm -hmm. semi-final in 86, where he 
beats a whole team as usual and then clips it into the corner. And he's he's rolling away from the, the goal and he's half falling over, but he doesn't quite fall over. He's also half leaving the pitch, but he doesn't quite leave the pitch. And the, the space just seems to bend in a kind of, you know, Einsteinian way. It bends to his will and, and the pitch sort of contorts in order to accommodate Maradona. And he could do that. And you can see him, how he leaps out of tackles and how he can twist and turn, um, and as well as the vision to see the pass and see the, the, the move. I don't think any other players quite had that ability in quite that same way. And you combine that with his um, brain as well and his mental strength and that whole bronca as well. I think it was just a pack. I think the, the angle was so important to the play who was. I completely agree with everything Gary said as well particularly the courage. Um, I think that's a great point. Um, but yeah, I just think, I, I think it's that as well. You often, you know, you think of players, Bronco, you think of players like, I don't know, Gerard or, you know, Keane or someone like that. And then you think of skillful players as well. But to have both as Maradona did, I think that's what elevated him. And Morton, ultimately, he, no other player has come close to winning the World Cup on his own like Maradona did. Only Garincha really in 62. And Maradona also did it in Serie A when it was, as strong as any domestic league has ever been. So to win the World Cup and Serie A, as a, almost as a one-man team, not quite, I think that's really what sets them apart. And also in an era when pitches were terrible and defenders, GBH was a yellow card at worst. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that that's it. I mean, Messi is obviously a genius, but I just don't get the comparison because he has done it surrounded by other geniuses. He failed in the World Cup, really. Um, and even Pele... Clearly didn't fail in the World Cup, but he's generally surrounded by better players. Um, so, yeah, I just don't really see anyone close to him personally. No, and there is something, that point you made, uh, Gary, about how people could, you couldn't do what he could do, but he does have that gas going thing that you think, that's what I'd be like if I was playing. You know, I'd be like, I'd be running up to crowds and getting them going and taking it personally and wanting to be the person that everybody loved sort of thing. That was kind of, and it is really weird because as we're all English people sat here, and really, you know, if you believe the narrative you're supposed to follow, we should all hate him. And yet I can't help but, even without his football, I adore everything that surrounds him. I absolutely love everything about him. I wasn't overly keen when he sort of fired that air gun at the journalists. Um, I, think I but... found that even quite amusing. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I'll, give, I'll give him that one. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I remember... Obviously, the the hand of God thing, and I, I mean, I think the reaction was too too much then. Um, I'll say something that no doubt will will get me some pelters. Thierry Henry's double handball I found worse. It was cynical. He did it. He did it twice. Maradona running through on Shilton, he, he could easily have got away with it completely, and it was at least to some extent instinctive. He needs to get that ball, and he jumped up and got the ball. And obviously, it was a wrong thing to do, but in the in the pantheon of uh, of bad things that happen on a football field, I think the uh, the hand of God is is very low in it the uh, in the list. It wasn't even the worst thing in the match. Terry yeah. Fenwick already on a yellow card, elbowed him in the throat off the ball. Um, Fenwick could have been sent off four times in that game. It just comes <laughs> down to culture, really. I mean, it's fine to elbow somebody in the windpipe, um, um, but not to. And I get why people don't get me wrong. I can completely understand why a lot of the England players can't let it go, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just cultural differences, really. 
It is enormous cultural differences because I remember him sort of saying, and he's obviously had to talk about it a lot, hasn't he? And I remember in one interview, I think even he was speaking to Gary Lineker on that show, and Lineker went to interview him in Argentina. Mm. And he said, I just felt like I was back in the playground again. I just jumped up and punched it in like I would have done if I was playing with my mates. And I got away <laughs> with it. You know, it's like, yeah. well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because we would do that with our mates. Somebody would go, yeah, you know, you've, you've missed that one sort of thing. And that's kind of a lot about him. And like to go back to that one, that 1980 game we were talking about, that point, yeah, he did basically ram, not only did he ram it back down Gatti's throat, and here's a random fact for you, Gatti, the Boca goalkeeper, was wearing yellow specs to play in that match for reasons I don't really understand. Have a look on YouTube. And he, um, and he scored four goals, each of them. One was a penalty after he rebonered the ball into somebody's arm and got a penalty. <laughs> He scored a brilliant free kick, and there was one, and, and then another one where he just each one of them was brilliant in its own brilliant Diego way, you know. Yeah, there's another word he used in his book, which is to vaccinate opponents he doesn't like, and literally it means to penetrate, but obviously it means to to fuck someone. And he, um, he, I mean, he always did that. He did it. He did it to Brazil at Italia '90. He did it to Milan, who were the best team along with Napoli and Serie A around that time. He did it to them so often, and he just was able to elevate himself so frequently to really vaccinate whether it's teams you didn't like or like England for cultural reasons or teams who were just big rivals it's just incredible capacity to do that so yeah to can you think of any other players who can do that's the, it's a good point though. how many other players raise the game so regularly to the occasion I don't I'm, not as often but yeah I can't think of anyone no, no. it's difficult isn't it the um 1982 World Cup was a bit of a blot on his copybook, wasn't it? But I suppose it was for the entire team, wasn't it? Yeah, we should just put quickly put away the myth of that famous picture against Belgium, you know, when yes. he's surrounded by players. It's, it's a glorious picture, but it actually all it was was a, a free kick hit the wall and broke to him. That's why there's a... It feels like it's in open play, you know, and the entire team has been designated to try and stop Maradona, but it wasn't quite that. And it says a lot about him, doesn't it, that it's believable. It yeah, and loads true. of people it's... accept that it's believable yeah. that that's because as if you could yeah. put eight people marking one person in a game but it's the fact that people believe that happened says a lot about just how good he was really yeah although a lot of people say it was in 86 in the semi which always annoys the anal bit of me and I just have to tell them and then I hate myself have for you seen that them. Belgium kit that's never an 86 kit what's wrong with you exactly exactly <laughs> but yeah and obviously he scored a good goal against was it Hungary I think he whipped one in the post but then obviously they were going out to Brazil and he kicked someone in the balls and um, yeah. But even that's great. Isn't it? I mean, his career was just such a, a mishmash of highs and lows, like really extremes. And I love that in a, in a kind of age now of quite sanitized, boring characters. Mm. Like even like, what's the worst thing that's happened to Messi? All right, he missed a good chance in the World Cup final. Maradona just, yeah, yeah. Maradona, even Ronaldo, you know, like he's had more highs and lows, but compared to Maradona, they're nothing. He just went through such extremes. And, and sport misses that kind of personality, even even if they're a villain, you know. Like my, my current favourite player is Scott Brown of Celtic, just because he goes around winding everyone up all the time. And um, I've, yeah, I miss that. Uh, can I say something about Maradona's free kicks? Because I think he had a... a if not quite unique, then he had a, a certain style with a free kick. And I, I feel as though I'm the only person who's noticed this. And I, I, first of all, I can't believe that. And secondly, I just may be wrong. Wait for the Twitter storm that's coming your way. Now, <laughs> You've got all these six footers in the wall, haven't you? And Maradona's what, five foot five, five foot six. Mm. I think with a lot of his free kicks, he either takes no run up or almost no run up. 
and he's actually hiding behind the wall. So a goalkeeper is getting himself set to deal yeah. with taking the free kick. And the first time he knows he can get up onto the balls of his feet is when the ball is coming over the top of the wall. I think he used that hiding behind the wall and then hitting the free kick with a lot of whip and dip over the wall to surprise goalkeepers and avoid them getting set. The way you'd see them for penalties where onto the balls of the feet, take half a step forward and they're already sort of uh, on the way out. Oh. And, you know, I think that, that, I think that if he did do that, and I've seen him on lots of clips doing that, I think it's an example of his kind of football intelligence that's I've... much underrated. I've got a memory of someone, it might be him, but someone who deliberately crouched for that reason. Um, I don't think it's him, but but yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant tactic. It's true. It he definitely did, exactly he, he definitely did do a short run-up most of the time. He was a one-two-step run-up type guy. Just talking of his intelligence, there's a lovely bit, his famous goal against England, the second one. He yes. um, At Wembley in 79, he'd almost scored an identical goal, went through about three or four players, not quite from as far out, and he poked it across, I think it was Shilton actually, and just wide the far post. So then when in 86 he goes through, even in that split second, and there's so much going on in your head, he was able to process what had happened last time. And that's why this time he goes round Shilton rather than poking it to the far corner. I find that the capacity of a footballer is not just Mar uh, Maradona. The ability to recall and process things in a split second, just astonishing. Uh, just as a modern example, that Firmino back heel for Salah at Southampton the other week, he processed about seven things in about, a quarter of a second instinctively I find it extraordinary and Maradona did that quite a lot and had that kind of brilliant instinctive intelligence well that 86 World Cup goal he often talks about whether well, he planned to I don't know if it's true but he says he planned to give the ball to Valdano didn't he Oh, I don't know. But, the, know but the but the angle that oh, that's right. Yes, the angle he was right. being. I yeah, think yeah. it was Fennick with Peter Reader. So he ran such yeah. an angle he butcher, couldn't yeah. butcher. Couldn't, oh no, you're right. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said he couldn't get the ball to him. So he, in in a way, and Valdano says it just shows you what a genius he was. That while he was doing all this dribbling and getting yeah, around yeah, people, exactly. he was actually thinking, "Oh, I know where Valdano is. I'll try and give the ball to him." Oh, I the can't. Brain is just, oh, I'll do that. Yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that. Bang! Goal! Oh, I've scored. And also, this happened seven years ago. I won't do that. Yeah, it's just incredible. There's a nice bit of that goal, actually. Barry Davis, who we, we all love here, but he can't keep up with Maradona. He's so fast. He kind of says, Maradona to his left, and he wants to say he doesn't need him, and he says, he didn't need, him. He didn't need any of them. And even he can't keep up. Even Maradona's brain, it's, it's just... It's Ooh, just I bet Barry was haunted by that, by saying no, the but then he, but then, he gives that, then he gives that brilliant, you have to say that's magnificent, <laughs> that kind of plea for Joe Bloggs' better nature. And you know... In the what's so perfect England, about that with Barry is one the, person What's so perfect about that with Barry is the beat... There's a beat, then he goes, yeah, yeah, and you have yeah. to say that's magnificent. <laughs> like I've just processed it, and actually, <laughs> and I'm sure up and down the land, everyone was saying, "Oh, yes. absolutely, yeah." Well done, Diego. Jolly good. And on the radio, Brian Butler has that lovely rising inflection, and that's why this little man is the greatest player in the world. Well, Morales, the Argentinian commentator, translated into English after that goal, said this: "Genius, genius, genius! Ta 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 goal." Diego, Maradona, it's enough to make you cry. Forgive me, Maradona, an unforgettable run in the play of all time. Cosmic kite, what planet are you from to leave in your wake so many Englishmen? That's what the Argentinian commentator said. I don't know what you two think, but I actually think the Belgium goal's better. Yeah, um, I do. Because well. England, at least he gets to line them up one after the other. And Which for him is an easy time job, time. isn't it? That's the other thing. You've got to remember yeah. the level of talent. Oh, I know, it's still a... Yeah, but I, and also the other thing is that Belgium, there's the balancing that Gary mentioned, which is extraordinary. It's, it's worth yeah. watching because he's staggering all over the place. The only one I've seen that reminds me of it is um, 
when George Best is run over by Chopper Harris and his body goes like in a yeah. V-shape and he still stays on his feet. But anyway, um, Maradona not only did it under that pressure, he has to weave in and out, but also the kind of fact that he'd already done it, you know. He's got a once-in-a-lifetime goal and then he did it again three days later. Like, it's extraordinary to do it on the back of what he'd already done. Um, he, he was so, so yeah, I, I slightly prefer that goal. Not that, you know, they're both... <laughs> To do that in a quarterfinal and a semifinal of a World Cup. <laughs> what was, the hell? It was just imper- it's, it's that that comeback to the point you made, Gary and Rob, about that imperious courage and belief at that stage. Yeah. You know, he never doubted but, himself for a second, I don't think, when he crossed it. No matter what and he had, you know, his, he had chaos going on in his personal life a lot of the time. But once he got on the pitch, he was just, you know, I'm at home now. There's a lot said about that warm-up, isn't there? That he, you know, the, yeah. the video that's warmed, the video warm-up at Napoli in 89, which is great when you see it. And like then his, his marriage is falling through the floor. He's, he's, you know, all kinds of recreational drug problems. But yet, the simple joy of this incredible, almost like a circus performer. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean in that the hours it takes to get that good, you know. I think that's a I really great point. Yeah. Shoelaces are undone. He's, he's so relaxed there. And He's just doing things with the ball. And, of course, you know, there's lots of freestylers can do this kind of thing. But in the back of your mind, while you're watching this extraordinary stuff, you're thinking, he's done that in a World Cup. He's, <laughs> he can do it in a World Cup. You know, it's not a kid on the street or, a, you know, a YouTube video where you've done it a thousand times and you only get the, the 1,000 incidents of it. It's just that that nature of ball, man, and space, which I don't think anybody's even come close to. Um, you know, my, my dad, I met, or I'm often mentioning him on, on this, he said Eusebio was fantastic. He said George Best was fantastic. He saw Pele at Goodison in 66, um, getting kicked out of the game. But, um, you know, I didn't see any of those, but I did see Diego Maradona play, albeit on television, and what a privilege that is. He went to Barcelona after 82, and it's it's remembered as a bit of a, well, by Barca fans generally, as a failure, his time there. And yet, he scored 22 goals in 36 games. His whole career, actually, his club career, he's 491 games and 259 goals. He's for an attacking midfielder. He's pretty damn good, isn't he? Cheers. Again, in those that era, you know, it's... Um, particularly that era of Serie A. Yeah, I don't, I'd be honest, I don't know that much about Barcelona, apart from that hilarious brawl at the end of his last game and obviously the Guaycachea tackle that broke his leg. Um, and he scored that amazing goal at, well he, he got a, he's one of the few players that got applauded by Real oh, Madrid uh, fans didn't yeah. he when he when he went round that defender he ran into the post and started laughing because he'd been mugged off so badly It's slightly weird judging Barcelona individual performances of Barcelona around them because they, they weren't that good we kind of forget that they haven't won the league for what eight nine years or something um, so yeah I don't know, but it is interesting that you would think of that as the biggest club he played for, but it's actually a kind of almost almost a curiosity in the context of his career. When he was injured, wasn't he, after the Goykachea thing? He had that massive, yeah. massive Ramy at Bilbao, which was just amazing. It's and that's just a wild it's, it's just it? utter refusal to take any shit off anybody. I think that's it's what just, I love the most about it. You know, and again, also in the modern world where we're all kind of sacrificing our principles for an easy life, it's so. It's quite refreshing to look back at his career. And he did he did some things that were indefensible. We know that. Although I'm not having the air gun at the journalists. I think that's just <laughs> right. It? But um, yeah, just the fact that the total belief in his principles, or to put it another way, didn't give a solitary shit what anyone thought. <laughs> it's quite refreshing, really. 
And he's, um, there's the other thing as well. Imagine what it, you know, he was a lad from a dirt poor background at the end of the day. He was tiny. Imagine how tiny he was at 14 <laughs> and a bit yeah. chubby and 14 years. Imagine playing in those local Argentinian Bo- uh, Buenos Aires leagues when he was 14, probably against fully grown men. He, he was he was taking the piss out piss out. Of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd have wanted to absolutely kill him, wouldn't he? So he was pro- it was probably very easy for him when he got to professional football. That's a fair, but it does tie in though with that courage, like uh, as Gary said. I think that's a really good point that um, we forget the courage of skillful players and just how hard they have to be. And again, particularly in that era when they could be butchered, it just imagine every time you get the ball, you don't know. It's not that you don't know what's behind you, you don't know what's coming, where it's going to hit you. You know, back of the back of the calf or whatever yeah. it's just, it's just incredible courage and on the flip side imagine defending against him and not knowing what's coming if you look at the 1990 World Cup there's that, that game against Brazil I love that there's that there's that marvellous bit where he picks the ball up and turns Lovely, and yeah. runs at the Brazilian defence and they look and they must have felt and they looked a bit like they'd suddenly been they heard the door slam shut on room 101 and all of their <laughs> yeah. nightmares had, had, well, come, the, had come to roost at once, you know. He kind of breaks the first wave, doesn't he? He just, <laughs> and you can see the second lot. First, you're almost looking at him thinking, look at this old man trying to roll back the ears. And then he breaks the first wave, and they all think, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. And you just know. And then I think two of them end up running into each other. And, <laughs> yeah. and then he passes to Kalejo, he scores. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary because he wasn't, he was gone then pretty much. He was half fit. He wasn't the player he was, and he still summoned that in a game when they've been slaughtered. Yeah, they were back to vaccinate. Game, yeah, yeah, to vaccinate Brazil <laughs> and put them out of the World Cup. I just the Brazilian, and, the Brazilian players in their minds, they had that music from Jaws playing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What was it's in? Actually, it's a great um, clip, and it turned out it was a parody, which I didn't realise at the time. But it's a Brazilian commentator, and when he breaks first wave, he just goes attention. <laughs> it turns out it's a, it, I didn't realise at the time it was a parody, but yeah, it kind of sums it up. Um, yeah, and that's a really good point about him, though, that he wasn't just a... Like, a lot of great players are kind of good-time Charlies up to a point. They're great when they're in form and they're fit and their body's good and, you know, everything's going well. Maradona, 86 was that time, but in 90, he still had moments, particularly against Brazil, that got him to the final when he was nowhere near his best, really. Um, and again, it comes back to that mental strength, I think. And even in 94, when he was completely flying off his tits or whatever it was he was taking... <laughs> There was still that amazing goal against Greece, wasn't there? That one-two move that he see then that that left foot still edge of the box, bang straight in the top corner. You know, people yeah, remember yeah, so... the screaming at the camera, but the goal was a blinder. You know, it was it was a real kind of ticky tacker on steroids. I mean, he played really well in that tournament. Obviously, we know we know we know why, but um, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. So he's and and we need to probably talk about his time at Napoli. Really, I mean, they Napoli were absolute. The when he went to Napoli in eighty five, eighty. Oh, was it 84 or 85? I forget, I forget. 84, sorry, he went to, Boston, uh, to Napoli, yeah. No one else wanted him. Nobody else wanted him. Napoli, as a city, was completely skinned. They couldn't even, like, collect bins or anything. <clears throat> and the mayor basically called him an absolute shed load of favours from banks, banking connections that he knew to get enough money to pay a world record transfer for him. 80,000 people turned up to, I think, watch his unveiling or his training session. And in a way, when you look back at Napoli, they'd never won a championship. They were from, obviously, Italy has an inverted north-south divide, doesn't it, compared to Britain, uh, England. They'd never won a championship before. It was, when you look back on it, I don't know, if they, I don't know but maybe you remember, Gary, if it was known at the time, it was just the perfect club for him to go to. An underdog, a kind of working man's town who had something to prove at the time. It was like the perfect match, really. 
Was that well, known I, at the time, Gary, or was it? I, I don't know whether it was known at the at the time, but obviously, in retrospect, you look back and think, yes, that was that was the perfect fit. I think they had Robble know better than me. Did they have Kareka as well playing? Subsequently, they did. Yeah, not in '84, but yeah, they did. Uh, certainly for the second title, they won. But I remember going to Naples in 89, I think it was. It was either 89 or 90, probably 89. And, I, you know, obviously I grew up in Liverpool. So I go to Naples. It's a port city. It's got Catholic churches on every street <laughs> corner. It, you go into any bar and there are photos of Maradona everywhere. And if there are not photos of Maradona on that wall, it's photos of Sophia Loren. <laughs> and I, I go in there and I'm thinking... I'm at home again. I'm at home again. I've come to an Italian version of Liverpool. Now, I don't have particular nostalgia for my hometown, but to see those two iconic figures of Sophia Loren and um, Maradona in, in, every, in every bar, you know, popular culture, sport, um, film stars, and people who, who lived their own lives, and, of course, both of them had their difficulties with the law, to say the least. But it was a mark of of only a matter of a few years uh, after his uh, arrival in Naples of just what an impression he made and what an impact he had, uh, not just on the football club, but on the city itself. And I walked a little taller, I have to say. And he made, of course, the whole city walk a little taller because they won that first championship in 87, was it, Rob? Yes, it was. Uh, 87 and then 1990, um, yeah. And they won it with a game to spare, and it, and it's just something brilliant. Can you imagine? You can't imagine it's happening anywhere in Britain, obviously. But they had like funerals on the streets in Napoli, didn't they? With coffins, with the or the the rest of the teams in Serie A, they had coffins with their names written on them, and actual priests performing funerals for all, for all, for all the different clubs that Napoli had beaten. That's hilarious. Yeah, and it was just this, and for him, and it's, you can't describe, I think, how perfect it was for Maradona to give a massive up yours to what was really the footballing elite. Basically, he spent his entire career flicking two fingers at the world, didn't he? Yeah. Um, I just uh, Quickly, I just had a look at Napoli's team from 86-7, and it's worth stressing just how few kind of stars there were in that team. They had a few international players, Giordano, Andrea Carnevale, Salvatore Bagni, Fernando Di Napoli, a young Churi Ferrara. But that's kind of it, really. There's nothing else. To, and all of those were kind of good international players. None of them were long-term stars in Italy, really, apart from Ferrara later in his career. Um, so it just shows the influence. Yeah, by 1890, they were a bit better. They Alamao and Caraca from Brazil. But again, they've got no right to be winning. Not Serie A at that point, when you had the great Milan team, a brilliant Inter team, a really good Sampdoria team. Just... <laughs> To do that in the World Cup and Serie A, I can't really... I, I can't get my head around it, Lee. I won't lie to you. <laughs> and he worked, he scored 10 goals, I think, in 87. And they thought, that's not much. But it was only like 1.3 goals a game. Or was that yeah, in 89? Exactly. It was kind of which season it was. But Well, even... Yeah, we said that with the Russian thing, didn't we? I think he got seven or eight goals, which actually, when you're not taking penalties in Russia's season at Juventus, it's not actually that bad. Um but yeah, and also just the timing of the goals, the manner of the move. Like he, he always he scored some great goals against Milan. He scored a twenty-five yard header against Milan. Um, <laughs> he broke their big offside trap, and you know the famous offside trap. Yeah. Keeper comes out, and he heads over him, and he just slowly bounces into the net. And again, it's not just the way he scored and the timing. Even to do that to break their offside trap, to hoist them by their own bloody most famous thing. I, I, I just love that about him. Even you know the um, Italian ninety semi final when they put Italy out. 
and he takes what turns out to be Argentina's last penalty. And he missed against Yugoslavia with a really weak penalty. Mm. And he took exactly the same, really softly to the keeper's right. And the keeper went the wrong way. And it kind of, it wasn't enough to score to, to, for it to be the full fuck you. It had to be exact to goad them by taking the same feeble penalty. And then he went off cavorting, celebrating like he'd scored the winning goal. It just, he's it, just so good at basically jabbing people in the chest and saying, I'm better than you. And what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I think one of the things that you we haven't mentioned about Maradona, and I think it's in reference to the number of goals he scored in that season, is that he played killer balls over and over again. He would always be looking for the killer ball and never knocked it off sideways and thinks, you know, you go and have a go. He would either score the goal himself or he would look to play the assist into into a man. And it's related again to that to that courage. He was prepared to risk it in order to, to win it. And I think that feeds into leadership. I think everybody who played with Maradona knew that, yeah, he might run past everybody and score a goal, but he also might lay on a, a chance for you. And that's why he managed to rip so many teams through to so much success. I mean, 86 and 1990... The Argentinian teams are no great shakes, were they? No, I mean, again, like Napoli, they're good players like Burachaga and people like that. Um, but no, they've got no place getting to a World Cup final, never mind winning it. You take Maradona out of that, they're probably, you know, I don't know, going the England route, aren't they? But it's um, <laughs> anything else to add on Diego Armando Maradona before we move off? Uh, just a, an absolute privilege to have been of uh, an age. As I say, I was what well, I was twenty three in uh, in eighty six, and to be that age and to be watching Maradona even on television, you kind of. I, I think I kind of felt even then I'm never going to see this in the rest of my life, and and so it's proved so far. But I'm just glad I had the chance to do it. Yeah, yeah, same really. I, I don't think he'll die wandering. I think that's what I like the most about him. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very true. The 86 game for me is one of the... I was only 10. It's one of the first kind of proper international games I can remember watching and remember so much of it. And I think the main reason is because my mum watched it. My mum hates football. And she watched it and got really, really into it. And I had a big, strong opinion afterwards that John Barnes should have been on the field from the beginning and stuff, even though <laughs> she knows nothing about football and won't tolerate it. Actually, just one last point. It just The quarterfinals and semis, he scored two goals. And finally, didn't actually do that much. I think Mateus marked him really well. But he still, when they're in all kinds of trouble at 2-all and hanging on, suddenly plays this stunning first-time pass that leads to Burchard's goal. So it wasn't, like Gary said, it wasn't just his goal scoring, his solo runs. He just had everything, really. Made the team tick, as they say. Right, then that was Diego Armando Maradona. I want to talk about, just very quickly, the um, the, the people who've been given the new Maradona title. And obviously, we firmly established that it's not possible to have a new Maradona, or we'll be very, very lucky if we do see it. But I think there's something about the era in which he played the game which will mean we'll never see the like of him again because, like you said, Rob, you can't behave like that anymore. And the pitches as well. I think that's really important. Yeah, um, that's true. The they no ball like so yeah, I think those are the two big things that may... And that's why I, I completely understand why um, younger people think Messi's a superior player. I, they're wrong, but I understand why they think that. <laughs> they're absolutely wrong. Yeah. I can understand why they're wrong, yeah. It's just a different sport. It's very hard to compare. Yes. So, new Maradona then. Let's have a look at the players that have been dubbed the next Maradona and try, if we can, to give them a sort of new Maradona rating out of 10 very quickly, okay? The first one was Diego Latore. And I think basically because he was the next player to come to come through at Boca, who looked a bit well, like I, him. Yeah, I remember a bit about him. The, the Copper American, because like, Argentinian football used to be on Screen Sport 
on which was on the very early sky and i remember copper america 91 all the games were on they had like a weird commentary team people like martin o'neill john fashionu uh, Alan Parry, but I remember staying up partly because I was late. It was football, and partly because it was a, a discreet way of watching soft porn on Sky Movies. <laughs> eleven days, eleven nights. But I remember there was a lot of hype about La Torre. And a classic of the genre that is, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but it turned out that Bat- and, and Batistuta emerged in that tournament, and then La Torre was supposed to go to Fiorentina. I don't know if he ever did actually, but he, there was a lot of hype about him, and then he was kind of trumped by Batistuta. So yeah, um, never quite happened. No, he got six caps for Argentina. Never mm. quite really happened, so I suppose for me, about a three out of ten, really. Did he Did he go to Fiorentina in the end? I'm sure they agreed to, and then did they take Batuta instead, or...? I don't remember. But I, I do remember could... a bit of that, that kind of impressionable age when someone tells you someone's an ex-Maradona and you absolutely take it. He did possible. go to Fiorentina. He played, he played for them twice, scoring zero <laughs> goals. He did, actually, if you're going to do a journeyman of the week type thing, he's he had quite a few clubs: Boca Juniors, Fiorentina, Tenerife, Salamanca, back to Boca Juniors, Racing Club, Cruz Azul, and so on and so on and so on. He had quite a number of clubs. It, yeah, as you say, it didn't quite work out for him. <laughs> um, the next one I've got on this is Ariel Ortega. Now I think he's probably him or Pablo Aymar are probably the ones that you could probably they're not Maradona, but in terms of the new Maradona, if you think about Ortega, he was a bit loopy like Diego was. He once got banned by Fernabachi for not bothering to come back after playing for Argentina, for example. And I remember him playing in France 98. He was fantastic. Well, I remember absolutely shitting myself every time he got the ball in Saint-Étienne against England when we were trying to defend when Beckham had been sent off. Funnily enough, I'll shut up. I'll shut up in a minute and let Gary talk. But I've, just, I've been doing. I'm doing something on that game at the moment, um, and I've been reading a few England autobiographies. And even Neville said he's one of the best players he's ever been on a field with. Um and he, well, I agree, he was so clever and fast. And at one thing in that game, he nutmegs everyone. He, he, just the amount of times he nutmegs an England player is astonishing. Um, and I don't really know what happened to him after that. Um, where did he play? He was in Spain at the time, wasn't he? Went he? Back he was back to River Plate at the end. He was linked with United at one point. Um, and I remember being really excited. But yeah, he, he looked so good in France 98. And it feels like his career never quite... Well, he, he was a proper ten. He played eighty seven. He played eighty seven times for Argentina. So you know, did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, he yeah, but he was a very good player. The other thing is, he's really associated with um, chips and lobs. Sounds, I, and I didn't really know this until I read it somewhere uh, on the Guardian, possibly. But yeah, there are some YouTube clip videos of him just lobbing people from absurd <laughs> angles and stuff. So yeah, I think he's a decent contender. He was at Valencia in ninety eight. That's and then right. He went to Sampdoria, Parma, back to River Plate, then Fernabachi, where they banned him. And then Newell's old boys in River Plate, 87 caps, 16 goals, mm. not many international goals compared to Diego. But uh, but yeah, I think he looked a bit like him. He was a proper 10. He's the one who probably, for me, is closest to being. Do you remember much about Ortega, Gary? Uh, maybe I'm wrong in this. This will show you my depth of knowledge about <laughs> uh, European football. But I seem to remember he looked quite a lot like Leo Sayer. Am I right in that? No, that was a Pablo Aymar, I think. Oh, Aymar Pablo Aymar. oh, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, baby. But, Pablo Aymar, yeah. But he, um, so, um, yeah, but he was a very good player, Ortega. I'd say he's probably a 7 out of 10 on the new Diego. Uh... 7 or an 8, yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> Next up, Marcelo Gallardo. Um, I remember being quite excited about him at France 98, mainly because I've read good things about him, and I think he's probably he good did win, he won a champion. He, he won a championship with an unfancied team with Monaco, the traditionally unfancied team. That's probably about the only thing that makes him 
similar. He played he played all right in France, and he came on against England as well. Because I remember being absolutely terrified of their depth. They had people like um, Crespo, Gallardo on the bench. Yeah, that's true. Maybe yeah. Cla- and then they had obviously Batistuta, Ortega, Claudio Lopez were on before we realised what a chance he was. <laughs> um, so yeah, Gallardo. Yeah, I don't know much about beyond France '98 really. That's that's right. Him off with a five out of ten. Five out of ten. <laughs> Next, Franco Di Santo. Let me just say this right now. Nobody who played for Blackburn and Wigan can be the next Diego Maradona. Next. <laughs> uh, Juan Roman Riquelme. Gary, over to you. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a, a an MBM, a minute by minute, that you did, Rob, at the Guardian in 2007 of the Copa America final where... That Argentina side, you probably got it to hand there, but they were—they had an absolute ton of talent, if you believe the propaganda. And you were up against a, a Brazil side that, um, somewhat surprisingly, didn't have much talent. And I'd seen a bit of this one, Roman Riquelme, and I'd heard that he'd sort of won a Spanish championship on his own or something or other. And there he is, poncing about in the midfield. <laughs> and I think I said to you that he and Varane looked like... Uh, Charlie Hawtrey and Kenneth Williams uh, <laughs> in a carry-on midfield uh, because neither of them barely moved, um, expecting the ball to come to them, flouncing around when it wasn't delivered to them perfectly. And Raquel May, you know, has his fans and obviously has significant achievement uh, behind him. But if you want to see the kind of player that I don't rate, then. <laughs> from Raquel May. Give the ball to me. Give the ball to me. Oh, you haven't. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Can somebody else go and get the ball and give it to me? Lovely and, player, uh, though. When he had the ball, he was a lovely player. Okay. Yeah. He did some good things in the World Cup in 06. He played one lovely pass for Saviola. scored against uh, Ivory Coast, I think. He was at the heart yeah. of that renaissance for Villarreal, wasn't he? Well, that's the thing, though. I think well, the not thing even I renaissance, the fact that they suddenly appeared to be half yeah. decent out of nowhere. Thing I'll always remember before is that missed penalty in the last minute against Arsenal, the Champions League semi-final. Would have taken it to extra time. And do you remember they did that Hawaii Five O style cut? It's extraordinary. It's on YouTube, and you could just see it in his eyes. Like, and I know people say this after the event, but it genuinely, you could see it in his eye. It kept going like, it was really weird. It's hilarious. They kept like zooming in like Hawaii Five O, and you could just see he was going to miss. And he did. Yeah, I remember that, and I remember thinking he's definitely going to miss. One thing that's interesting is he inspires, like as Gary said, he really does have his fans, people who like him have this kind of crazy devotion to him. He's almost like a a pre-Pirlo. I know he played further forward, but in terms of the way people like him, Pirlo was a better You can player. see why the football hipsters like him. I, that's, yeah, I was trying not to get to that, but yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, oh, no, no, totally. I, no, he was a beautiful passer of the ball. It's yeah. just like Gary said, he wanted... But stylistically, he was as, he far, away, of... as far away from Diego as you could get, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. He wanted a lot of butlers, butlers on the pitch serving him. Um, yes. <laughs> Pablo Aymar is next, or Leo Sayer, as you've identified him as. Pablo Aymar, lovely little player, played for Valencia. Yeah. Diego lovely. liked him a lot, loved watching lovely, him. Lovely balance as well. Broke his um, club's transfer record as well. Yeah, he was a he was a really good player. Um, but he played no two, didn't he, at the World Cup? I think. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I associate him with the, all the little kind of really cute ten yard stab passes in tight areas. Um, yeah, yeah, he was a proper attacking midfielder, and again played played at that sort of s- just below the kind of super elite level. Valencia, yeah, exactly. Well, that, Zaragoza, Benfica, was, you know. What years was he at Valencia? Was it when they got to the Champions League final? Oh, he, he played in the second one. 
Oh, I know he went after because yeah. they got to, they got to two in 0-0-0-1. Or did he come in? Oh, anyway, never mind. Yeah, um, yeah, interesting. It's interesting also how often um, you look at these players that kind of must have played for a huge club, and they kind of didn't. Even you go back, and I know it's slightly different to foreign rules, but like when all those great Brazilians came over in the eighties, like to uh, uh, to Italy, like Socrates, Zico Junior, they all played for like Torino, Fiorentina, Udinese. It seems extraordinary now they weren't mm. at like Zico's at Udinese and Mark Haitley and Luther Blissett were at Milan. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> I hated Mark Haitley. I can't describe how much I dislike Mark. Haitley. I think he's underrated. I genuinely think he'd be oh, good for underrated. God, I couldn't stand him. But anyway, yeah, that's another episode. Yeah, so I'm up six out of ten on the next Diego. Seven, seven, all right, seven. What's Raquel? Me minus five. You gave him Gary. We'll be talking yeah. about this on WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking with the minus five. <laughs> um, next, Andres Alessandro. No, nope. Just leaving that. Not even commenting on it. Unless anyone's got something they want to say about Andres D'Alessandro. Did he end up Can at interject... Yes. <laughs> That's why we're moving on. <laughs> Can I interject a point on, on the whole list of the, the next Maradonas? The Argentina have not won a World Cup nor a Copa America since 1993. Yeah. That's a bit like when somebody tells you that a Frenchman hasn't won the Tour de France since 85. People can't believe it, can they? You know. But, you know, there's, there's only about three French riders and one of them was Richard Varonk. So I'm, I, I kind of understand that. But when you when you think of the talents that Argentina have produced in that time, that somehow it never came together in any way to, to win either a continental or a, or a world tournament. Um, I, it, it is extraordinary. I think they've got some Olympics and stuff like that. But, you know, they're, they're the two tournaments that they play for isn't it as a national team you play for your continental tournament euros in england copa america in uh, euros in europe copa america in uh, south america and the world cup and 25 years yeah amazing that is pretty yeah no you're right they've had some damn good teams i just thought something of ortega as well he was the one who um was sent off for putting a head on edwin van der sar in the World Cup quarterfinal just before Bergkamp. Which scored. is actually quite remarkable because Ortega's five foot seven. I know, but it's like an up it's like an upper <laughs> oh, yeah. upper head an, an uppercut headbutt. Yeah. 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 An upper butt. An upper butt. <laughs> oh good God, that uh, no. Uh, so um no, there. next on the list, Javier Saviola. Now you see, I think for a start he's a forward rather than an attacking midfielder. That's yeah, my first probably. point. Yeah, probably. He was top Might class not, though. He was top head. class. It's got bugger all to do with anything, but my favourite Saviola detail is, see, it's worth looking up Rivaldo Saviola Deportivo, and Rivaldo almost scores the greatest goal of all time, and he ends up buggering the last bit, and it still goes in, Saviola scores, but he, he does, there's no celebration of Barcelona have scored because he walks away like he's just run over his dog because he knows he's missed the chance. Basically, it's like a 50-yard pass, controls it, flicks it up, and then volleys it, cushions it over the keeper. It's astonishing. Um... But multiply, yeah, I just love the fact he doesn't do the whole mock, oh, we scored anyway bit, um, because he knows he could have scored the greatest goal of all time. But Saviola was really good, uh, played in that 06 team who were fantastic. Suarez always reminds me of Saviola a little bit. I think Suarez is the kind of, he's the new Maradona. But yeah, that's another, cool. true. Yeah, even cool. though he's a forward, like he's a spiritual heir. I, I agree with that, yeah, including doing stupid things, yeah. Exactly, and putting up to England and everything else, and yeah. But of but course, anyway. Saviola. For some, Marcelo Bielsa hated him, didn't he? He wouldn't play him when Bielsa was in charge of Argentina. 
I, I don't know. He didn't. Um, he didn't play under Bielsa at all, basically. Yeah. And that, how did that work out for Bielsa then? No, indeed, quite. Very quickly, the last ones. Carlos Marinelli. He played for Middlesbrough. Barra, yeah. The only people who gave him the nickname was the English press, and that's because he was left-footed and they signed him from Boca Juniors. He struggled <laughs> to be a decent professional footballer, never mind the next Diego Maradona. I love some of the links you get. It's like um, when Pogba was emerging and everyone said he was in Vieira, and what they meant is he was tall, French, and black. That was it. <laughs> there was no um, similarity in style at all. He ended up being loaned out to Torino, I think, Marinelli, and then came back to Middlesbrough and then disappeared Back to Boca, I think. I can't remember. He wasn't a player. You could tell he had talent, but yeah. yeah but, you know. It didn't ever quite... Yeah, no. You've then got the three players who play now, which you've probably covered. Uh, Tevez, Messi, Aguero, who I think are all different kind of players, and apart from Messi. but Yeah, Messi gets like a nine and a half. But but you're yeah. right, slightly different player as well. Um, and yeah. then finally on the list was Ezekiel Lavezzi, who's a winger. So why the hell he ends up being called the new Maradona, I've got no idea. So what Racism. this... What, sorry? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what this list teaches us more than anything, I think, is that the new Maradona title is never very wisely used and should perhaps stop being used, especially 25 it, years on. What you have to do to... It's the new Ian Botham. <laughs> yeah, how, how, it's interesting, though. No one ever spoke about the new Cruyff, did they? Yeah, did I suppose. They? I, mean, what is, I don't know why. It's, I, I, not, I, I, we had the new Gascoigne, I suppose, up to a point. And you and both of them, obviously. I don't know why certain people seem to qualify it more than others. I, I mean, can't if, ever... you're talking, if you're not talking about Dennis Bergkamp as the new Johan Cruyff, you're not talking about anybody really. And now I know they're not the same player, but, yeah. but there's there's more comparison between Bergkamp and Cruyff than there are between arguably any of those except Messi and uh, and Maradona. But no one ever said that, did they? As far oh, as I'm never... aware. No. Yeah, interesting. Who knows? It's I don't, yeah, it is funny because not but there aren't many. It's true there are not many players who get the who's the new new Shane Warne obviously in cricket. I mean, it's distinctive. Character, there must be something about characters. Com- but, yeah, and it is always somebody who's got something. Both of them and Warner to switch sports a minute. Somebody who likes your doobie. Well, but, well, or whatever. There is something <laughs> else to them other than their ability on the field, isn't there? That's a good point, actually. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. We hope you have enjoyed our little gallop through remembrances of the greatest Diego Maradona and then the not-so-greatest people who tried to follow him to different degrees of success. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your time, Rob. Cheers. And thank you, Gary. Not at all. Thank you. And we will speak to you all again soon. Take care. Goodbye.